My name is Mark. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you this morning. Special welcome to everyone who's here for Esther's baptism as well. It's great to have you all here as well. I lied to Wuffle. I didn't actually give him my real sermon. I've got the proper version here, so we're all good to go. Uh, just before I get started, we did a, a Q&A session a couple of weeks ago. We, we were looking at 1 Timothy 2, and we had a mobile number that you could preach questions, that you could text questions to. We're going to have the same thing today as well, just as a chance to ask questions afterwards. It's an anonymous number, so I won't know who's texting the questions in. Cameron has given me half an hour for sermons and Q&A, so it's 10.44 at the moment, so I'll try and get the sermon done in some time under half an hour and then allow whatever time's left uh, for questions to come through. So feel free to, to text those through as we go. I think the phone's back here somewhere, so we'll have a look at those afterwards. Well, whenever you think of training, there's a sense of purpose involved, isn't there? If you want to progress further in your career, uh, you'll train yourself. Uh, you'll go to, to workshops, you'll go to training events, uh, you'll develop your skills. If you want to improve on your fitness, then you'll train yourselves physically. You'll, you'll go to the gym, you'll get a gym membership, you'll get a fitness and exercise and diet program going on. We've got the AFL Grand Final on next weekend. It's Collingwood versus West Coast. You can see I kind of predicted Richmond would be playing, but that's, that's all right. So those two teams have should have really updated that. Anyway... So those two teams that have made the grand final have been training relentlessly for the last 11 months to get to where they are now. So training is important. But if the passage that we've just read is on the money, then it's actually training ourselves in godliness that has more value than anything else. Which leaves us with a few questions. Firstly, what does it mean to be godly? Why do we need to be godly? And how do we train ourselves to be godly? This is your first time with us in our 1 Timothy series. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to a friend of his called Timothy. And Paul has given Timothy the job of reforming the church in a city called Ephesus. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, we see that the key verse in this book where Paul describes the church as God's household the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And so the church is a family that is growing in Jesus together. It's on mission for Jesus together and looking to display the truth of the gospel to the surrounding world. That's the the big picture of 1 Timothy that we've got. And it's quite a, a relevant book to look at as we think about planting next year. We've had Cameron and Colin up here with their competing lunches to decide which church you'd like to be a part of. But um, as we think towards planting next year and uh, what that's going to look like, this is a great book to be looking at and thinking through what are we building these two churches on. It's also a very appropriate book to be looking at as we celebrate Esther's baptism this morning. Um, Colin, immediately after he baptised Esther, declared um, that she was a member of the church, that this, this was her family. And so it's great that we're actually looking at a book which looks in depth about what it means to be members of the church family and the great privileges that that brings. In chapter one, we saw that the task of the church is to advance the gospel, to proclaim Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection and see people's lives transformed by this knowledge. 
Uh, in chapter 2, we saw that God is on mission to save people. Uh, so, that, so that means that we as a church are on mission as well, because God is. Last week in chapter 3, we saw the need for the church to have integrity as we go about our mission and how that integrity flows from our leaders. It's important how the church looks from the outside, uh, so how the integrity of the church looks from the outside. But what we see in this passage that we've just read here is that the inside is very important as well. Timothy has a crucial role of modelling a godly life so that others will see his example and follow his example. And each of us here who are followers of Jesus, we have the exact same responsibility to train ourselves to be godly so that we can build each other up in the faith. They should have an outline in front of you in the leaflets there. You can see the, the three main headings. There are the opposition, the training, and the benefit. So looking at what the opposition is in our world to godly living, uh, the training that godly living involves, and the benefit of godly living as well. So Paul begins in chapter 4 by pointing out that in Ephesus at that time, there was opposition to the Christian faith. Uh, Not in the form of persecution coming to the church from the outside. This was false teaching from within the church that was affecting it. Right back in chapter 1, verse 3, we saw that the job that Paul had given Timothy was to stamp out the false teaching that was going on in the church. We see here in in chapter 4, in verse 3, the false teachers were forbidding people to marry and they were ordering them to abstain from certain foods. So they were saying that marriage and certain foods are bad, that to indulge in them is to disobey God. And Paul says, no, that's rubbish. Food and marriage are good things. They're good things that God has given to us. And we see that right back at the start of the Bible. The first two chapters of the Bible, in Genesis, in chapter 1, God sees all that he has created and he declares that it's good. We see then in chapter 2, God gives his blessing on marriage as well. Now, sometimes marriage isn't appropriate in a particular situation for, for some reasons, but marriage itself is a good gift that God has given to us. Now, under the old law as well, there were certain food restrictions that God had given to his people, certain foods that they were, they were not to eat. But it's clear as we read the Bible that by the time we get to this letter, by the time we get to, to this stage in the church, that these food restrictions no longer apply because they have found their fulfillment in Jesus. And so what we have here is a wrong understanding of the law, thinking that the way to please God is through giving things up for him. We need to be careful with how we link serving Jesus and self-denial. We don't deny ourselves good things to, to earn a right standing with God. That's, that's a completely unbiblical idea. That's, that's legalism, the idea that we, we give up things to, to get a right standing with God. But following Jesus will mean self-denial because we're living for Jesus' glory. We're living for Jesus' mission. Uh, we're not living first and foremost for ourselves. And as we saw last week, that will mean that there are certain things that we deny ourselves, like um, unfaithfulness in marriage and getting drunk. Things that dishonour God. 
Now, the opposite error to, to legalism, you've got legalism on one side, which is um, obeying rules to be right with God. The other side is being complacent, and that's, that's where we allow ourselves to act in a way that dishonors God, where we, we think that's okay. So you kind of got the two sides. You've got legalism, which says, God wants me to follow the rules. And then you've got complacency on the other side, which simply says, God wants me to be happy, however I want to be happy. And there's, there's truth to both of those, but they both kind of miss the mark a bit in the same way as well. We'll also see in chapter 6 that um, following Jesus will mean self-denial with material things. But again, the focus is on serving and honouring God, not shortchanging ourselves just for the sake of it. It's also clear that there's a spiritual battle going on here. The, the false teaching we see in verse 1, it's not just being taught by men, it's being taught by demons. And people are abandoning the faith. The devil is active. He's looking to trap people, to lead them away from the truth. And we saw hints of that last week in chapter 3, where we, we saw that the overseer, the, the person that leads the church, is the key target of the devil. Uh, this is uh, just a photo to freak out all the parents here. If you uh, might have seen this in the advertiser, I think it was earlier this year or last year in the advertiser, there was a, a mother and a daughter who were uh, on a farm and uh, the daughter's kind of looking out into the distance. The mother's taken a photo of her daughter and uh, she's had a look at the photo afterwards and almost had a heart attack. If you, if you can't see the problem with the photo, I'll just zoom in a little bit and you can see there's a, a brown snake which is almost slithering between her legs. It's that close. So it's a bit like that living today, spiritually. There's a spiritual battle around us. There's, there's evil surrounding us. We don't live in a neutral environment. Someone once wrote that, I'm going to take that photo away just to <laughs> relax people a little bit. Someone once wrote that the, the three big weapons that the devil uses against the church are persecution, corruption, and destruction persecution, corruption, and destruction. These are the weapons he uses to, to try to lead people away from Jesus. In 1 Timothy, from what we've seen so far, it's clear that uh, both a corruption of the gospel message and distraction from the task of proclaiming it are really hindering what this church is doing. So we should expect the truths of the gospel to be attacked both from, from the outside of the church and from the inside of the church. We need to be equipped to stand firm in the truths of the gospel when they are attacked. And so growing in our faith is something we need to plan for and we need to work out. It's a bit like if, if getting fitter and stronger was your aim, you'd, you'd plan out a diet, you'd, you'd get a gym membership, uh, you'd work hard at making that happen. And this is where training comes into it. Paul even compares physical and spiritual training in this letter here, he says in, in verse 8, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So what is godliness? A guy called um, Jerry Bridges wrote a book on this topic. He describes godliness as devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. Devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. So there are two parts to godliness. There's the way we live, uh, being obedient to God, living lives that are, that are pleasing to him. But this obedience, it flows out of a devotion to God. 
So you could take one of our Bibles in church, you could read through it, you could highlight every single moral command in there and you could just strive to, to obey those commands as best you can in your life. But if it isn't flowing out of a love for God, then it's not godliness. It's just legalism. Godliness is knowing that, that God made us, that he loves us deeply. That even when we rejected him, when we pushed him away, he loved us enough to send his own son to die for us, to bring us back into relationship with him. That he promises us eternal life. Godliness is knowing that God has done for us what we could never have done for ourselves. Jesus came to save sinners. We saw that in chapter 1. To be, Jesus came to be our mediator and our ransom. We saw that in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. Godliness is responding to this by putting our lives at God's disposal. Striving to, to know him, to depend on him and to glorify him more and more each day. Have a look at what Paul says there in verse 10. We labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Being a, being a Christian really means handing a blank check over to God. It means saying to him, everything I have is yours. Now, can you see the difference between this and the false teaching? The false teaching, in a sense, it was trying to, to control God, wasn't it? It says, if you, you, do, you do this, you do this, you do this, and God will have to be happy with you. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and that's, that's your understanding of, of Christianity or religion, that you do enough good, and, and hopefully God will be happy with you. He'll, he'll accept you. The gospel message doesn't say that at all. The gospel message says, Jesus died for your sins, so you don't have to fear God's anger if you've put your trust in him. He's been raised to life so that you can have eternal life. This is how much God loves you. This is a God worth following. If you're here this morning just checking out what church is and what Christianity is all about, this is the great truth uh, that we believe, that Jesus has died for us, he's been raised for us, and that our right standing with God comes through him. And training ourselves to be godly, it helps us to, to walk the path between legalism and complacency. Because we're living under grace, knowing that it's what Jesus has done for us that makes us right with God. But we're also wanting to live in response to what God has done for us. What he's done for us and who he is, they're, they're the, the motivators for how we live. And so we kind of explore the tension between legalism and complacency, whether God wants us to follow rules or whether God wants us to be happy. There's, there's a bit of both of those things going on. God wants us to live lives that are obedient to him, but he wants that to flow from having our great joy in him. Training ourselves to be godly isn't what saves us. Our training is our response to us being saved. And if we've grasped the gospel, we'll want to train, we'll want to grow in godliness every day in every way. It's a very appropriate thing to, to think through as we celebrate Esther's baptism, because this, this is the life of discipleship uh, that Jasper and Colette 
have pledged her to. This is how they have promised to raise her. This is how they have promised to, to set her up in life, to have a growing desire for God, a growing love for God, and that that would flow out more and more into her life as she grows up. So how do we train ourselves to be godly? Well, it starts with our devotion to God. And we can't grow in our devotion to God if we aren't investing personally in our relationship with him. It's a bit like I could never grow in devotion to Alicia, my wife, if I never spoke to her and if she never spoke to me. Which is why making regular time to read the Bible and to pray is so important. Because it's as we invest in prayer and Bible reading that the effect over time is that it takes things that we we know to be true about God, about ourselves, about the world, and it really embeds them into our hearts. It it turns them into life-shaping realities. Over time, our discipline in getting into God's word, reflecting on it, bringing our concerns to him in prayer, it will shape us. It's a bit like one gym session isn't going to completely transform your body. One set of ab crunches isn't going to give you a six-pack, that sort of thing. But a a disciplined effort over time uh, will bring results. There's a a similarity to that uh, with our spiritual training as well. In verse 8, Paul doesn't just say that godliness has value for when you die, but for now as well. Growing in our relationship with God, learning to depend on him in the, the good times and the bad times in life, trusting in his plans for our life. There's a great joy in these things, in the here and now, as well as the hope that we have for eternity. And a bit like getting physically fit, we need to find a routine that works for us. Like I, for example, I really hate treadmills. Like the idea of getting in my car, driving 15 minutes to go to the gym so that I can walk into a building and get on an exercise machine surrounded by other people who are sweating and looking at a wall while I do it and then driving home 15 minutes. I just can't see the joy in that at all, but other people seem to love that. Whereas I love going out and running in the, in the fresh air. That really works for me, whereas other people would, would hate that. It's about finding what works for us. If you're not a morning person, then waking up at 5am in the morning every day to pray, that's not going to work. You're not not going to be able to stick with that. Praying after dinner might, though. If prayer is something that is quite new for you, then you might have to start small just to to build your way up to a, a routine for it. It might be just reading a few verses of the Bible each morning and praying for the day ahead. And looking to, to build on that as it becomes more natural. I keep a, a weekly prayer schedule, so I have a kind of a day for, a list for each week, and that helps me kind of keep track of all the people I want to pray for, uh, friends I'm praying for would become Christians, just general character strengths that I'm trying to improve on. Now, if you're a more spontaneous person than me, that might drive you absolutely crazy doing it that way. There's no, there's no perfect way to do it. It's really got to be something that that works for you. If you've got kids as well, that will mean you're trying to involve them in the process or you're trying to work around uh, their sleeping patterns, that sort of thing. It's really about finding something that works for us. It's going to look different for all of us, but what's important is knowing the importance of regular prayer and Bible reading time in growing our devotion to God and then making it happen in our lives as well. 
our obedience to God is going to, to flow from our devotion to him. But it is something that we can work intentionally on as well. The Bible shows us the qualities that we need to grow in. And it also shows us the things that we need to turn away from and avoid as well. If you know there are particular areas of sin that you're prone to, maybe it's pride, anger, gossiping, lustful thoughts. It could, could be anything. Making sure that you're bringing those things before God, asking him to help you. might be helpful to confide in someone who you trust as well and, and ask them to keep you accountable. And also just considering when you're most vulnerable to those temptations and, and making sure that you're not placing yourself in situations of temptation. Just speaking from a man's perspective, I'm just aware that sexual temptation is just something that, that's always there, always crouching at the door. So I know that there are certain TV shows and certain movies that I just shouldn't watch because I know that it won't be helpful to do that. I quoted Jerry Bridges' definition of godliness a few minutes earlier, devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. A few pages later in that book, he, he says this. He says, I have met many capable and talented Christians, but I think I have met fewer godly Christians. Those are quite challenging words to hear, aren't they? So what have you got in place in your life to make sure that you're growing in your godliness, to make sure that you're growing in your devotion to God and having that overflow into how you live your life. Training ourselves in godliness is good for us. It doesn't save us, but it keeps us firmly grounded in what does save us. And that is the message of the gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection and the, the right relationship that we have with God through that. Our training it isn't just good for us, though. It's good for other people as well because we set an example in godly living. Paul tells Timothy here in verse 12 that he has the task of setting an example for other believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, as well as in teaching God's word, we see in verse 13. So you can kind of see a bit of the logic here. It's only because Timothy has trained himself in godliness that he's in a situation where he's able to set an example for others. It's a bit like if you decided this is going to be the, the summer, I'm going to get my summer body, you sign up for a gym, you get a, a gym membership, you get a few PT sessions in there and, and you rock up for your first personal training session and the personal trainer is 50 kilos overweight, he's got a beer in one hand, he's got a cigarette in the other hand. You, you kind of look at that and you think, this, this probably isn't the person who's going to help me get to where I need to be. And so it's only because Timothy has trained himself in this godly living that he's able to set an example for those around him. This is quite relevant for Timothy, given his role in the church. But the principle is the same for all followers of Jesus. We're all example setters. The words we speak, the things we do, the way we treat other people... We set an example all the time, whether we realize it or not. So what are the opportunities that you have to set a godly example? If you're a parent or an older sibling or a kids or a youth leader, there'll be younger people watching you. And for all of us, we set an example by being regular at church and at growth group, 
each week. Uh, we do it by serving and getting involved at church. Uh, we do it by welcoming newcomers along. And we do it by setting an example in how we deal with the difficulties in life as well. When people know that, that you're hurting or you're struggling and they still see you putting God first in your life, still seeing you making a commitment to him, that really does speak volumes. When we do these things, we're showing each other how the gospel shapes us in every way. We're building each other up. And that's a big part of why growth groups are so important. As we meet together each week, as we we share life together, we're living examples of God's grace and God's goodness in our lives. We set an example for each other and we, we learn from the example of each other as well. That's our, our prayerful vision for next year, that we're going to have two churches, two strong, healthy churches where we're growing in godliness together as church families, where we're setting an example in godliness for each other every week as we come together, modeling godly lives to each other and building each other up in the gospel. Two churches where we're making disciples of Jesus as people respond to the gospel message, but we're also growing disciples of Jesus as well as people learn more and more um, how Jesus shapes the way that we live our lives as a church family together. Paul finishes this chapter by telling Timothy in verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. The doctrine is what you believe, pretty much. Persevere in your life and your doctrine. If you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. God uses Timothy's example and our example today as well to keep people strong in the faith. If Timothy holds carefully to the truth of the gospel and if his conduct flows from that understanding, his life will clearly show that his trust is in Jesus. And so the people around him will follow his example. They'll also train themselves to be godly. And as they grow in godliness, they'll be equipped to stand firm in their faith in Jesus and be saved. It's a great privilege, isn't it, that God uses us to build each other up in the faith and to spur each other on as a church family. We stand firm in our faith by training ourselves in godliness, growing in our devotion to our great God and having that overflow into the way that we live our lives for him. And as we do that, we set an example for each other. We strengthen each other to live with eternity in our hearts. And that's definitely something that's worth training for. I'll pray in a moment. I might just see if any questions came in. Realized I didn't really have the question, the phone number up that much. That was probably my mistake a little bit. But if you've got questions afterwards, come and have a chat to me. I'll pray. There's a number there. So you've got the time I pray to text your questions in. I'll make it a long one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great truths that we see in this passage, um, what it means to, to be godly. We pray that you'd be helping us as we reflect on your word here to grow in our godliness, to, to grow in our devotion to you, to remember 
the great things that you've done for us, to reflect on them, to think through what it means to, to be saved because of Jesus' death and to have the sure hope of eternal life through his resurrection. We pray that you'd help us to reflect on those things, that you'd help us to shape our lives around growing that godliness, growing that desire to, to serve and to honour you. So please help us to, to be disciplined as we do that. Uh, please help us to know that it's not the way that we serve you that makes us right with you, but our lives are lived for you in response uh, to what you've done for us. Uh, so please may that devotion to you be overflowing into lives that bring you great honour and great glory. And we ask that you would help us to set a godly example for those around us as well. And that as we go from being one church to being two churches next year, that you would be helping us to, to be two strong, united families where we're setting a strong example to each other in godliness, where we're spurring each other on uh, to live lives that honour and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, come and grab me afterwards if you have questions. I think I'm heading back to Colin.